Live from Studio G at Goodman Law Group's headquarters, this is The Good Law Pod, a show that dives into your questions about all things HOA. Welcome to Goodman Law Group's podcast. Today we're joined by Greg Bloomberg of the city of Scottsdale. We're going to be talking about group homes today. Welcome, Greg. Thank you very much. Happy to be here. So I'm really excited about today's podcast. It's kind of a culmination of years and years worth of questions that I get from uh, uh, homeowners, board members, managers, you know, pretty much anyone and everyone on I'm what sure. they can do. <laughs> I'm sure. And I'm sure you, we were talking earlier before we started the podcast and you were saying you guys get inundated with these calls as well. So yeah, there's a lot of confusion out there as to what, what a group home is, what a care home is and what a short-term rental is. So we get a lot of phone calls. Yeah. Perfect. So today on the podcast for the listeners, we're going to be covering uh, the background of Greg, who he is. You mind if I call you Greg? Absolutely. Perfect. Um, a couple of other things how group homes come to existence, what they are, uh, what the city does, what the HOA's responsibilities are, how they can work together to resolve concerns or problems. Uh, and when I say HOAs, I'm talking about condominiums and uh, examples of, or stories that, uh, of different examples of experiences that both the condos, HOAs, and, and Scottsdale's have. So uh, a little bit of background about you, Greg. Who are you? What you do? What do you do? And uh, give us a little bit of your experience. Certainly. Um, again, Greg Bloomberg. I'm a senior planner with the city of Scottsdale. I've been with the city of Scottsdale for 31 years. I graduated from ASU with a degree in planning. And so I happen to be doing exactly what I got my degree for. And uh, I worked on the text amendment for the city of Scottsdale that deals with care homes and group homes. So I'm probably as qualified as anybody else to answer these questions. <laughs> Perfect. Well, we know we have the right guy here. So thank <laughs> yeah. you so very much for spending some time with us this morning. Certainly. Uh, really excited about it. So tell me, let, let's go to the very beginning. Uh, if somebody wants to apply or open a group home, what do they have to do? Well, in terms of our, our zoning ordinance, a group home is a home with six or more of over six residents in it, whether they're related or unrelated, with no type of care or supervision. That's basically a group home as far as we're concerned. And we did a lot of vetting through state law and federal law and federal fair housing and all that sort of stuff as we were going through the text amendment. So in, in a group home, is you know, there is no real requirement to do that in Scottsdale. You simply... Uh, you can establish a group home as long as it's over six, but there is a catch now. And the, the catch is you cannot do a group home in single-family zoning. You can only do a group home in multifamily zoning now. Uh, that's a clarification in our ordinance. And we have had a lot of folks come to us wanting to do group homes in single-family zoning and can't do that anymore uh, because it's really not conducive to a single-family neighborhood setting. So you have to go find a, a multifamily zoning. And basically, it's over six residents. As long as there's no care or supervision, you can locate wherever you want. But it has to be multifamily zoning. So tell me then, uh, when we say group homes, I'm sure there's different types of group homes or examples of a group home. You said the general rule is six or more people that are unrelated, and there's no type of care. Or supervision. Or supervision. Right. So... Let's say a uh, HOA board or a manager has a question. Hey, is this a group home or not? Uh, I'm going to give you a few examples. So uh, in your eyes, would um, a, a gathering of like a halfway house, for example, 
would that be considered a group home? Yes, it would. And that's because there's supervision of the well, people that live there. Okay, let's back up then. If there's supervision, a halfway house, sometimes sometimes sober homes, as they're commonly referred to, um, sober homes are a little tricky because sometimes they have supervision and care, sometimes they don't. Sometimes there might just be a house manager. There might just be a set of house rules that they sort of self-govern. Uh, so if you, if you say a halfway house, I'm going to ask you a few questions to see if there is supervision or if there is any type of care. Because if there is care, then it's a care home, right? There's where the difference is. All, any kind of supervisory care or medical care has to be licensed. So our ordinance says if you're a licensed home, then you got to come see us. We have to do an approval. You have to go through our process, meet our, meet our criteria for a care home. But if there's no supervisory care or any type of medical care, and you have over six residents, you got to go find a multifamily zoning. And you can just go ahead and open your home and do it, but as long as there's no conflicts with your HOA or your sure. covenants, codes, and restrictions, or however you want to call them. But that's against, and I'm sure you're going to ask me a bunch of questions about CCNRs and so on and so forth. But... As far as zoning goes, that's it. As long as you're in a multifamily zoning and there's no care or supervision, you can just go ahead and open up the house as a group home. So single family zoning, a bunch of college students live together. There's eight of them. We know there's no supervision or care in that scenario. That, from what you're saying, in a single family zone is inappropriate. That's correct. But then there's an irony to all this. And the irony is that the state told all the cities that they can no longer regulate short-term rentals. And short-term rentals are an awful lot like group homes because you've got a lot of people staying there, sometimes only for two or three days. And they may be having big parties. They may be making a lot of noise. That's, but that's not necessarily a group home. It's just a short-term rental. The difference is a short-term rental is supposed to be licensed, and it's a different type of a use, obviously. But it's hard to distinguish the two. Sure. So... And, and, our, and our, it's, it's, it's an impossible task for our code enforcement people to go out there and try and find these locations. They can't proactively go out there and start knocking on doors. It's just complaint-based. So we, if we get a complaint, for example, we'll go out and investigate and see how we would classify that particular use. So the scenario with the college students, the association's manager probably knows that it's not a short-term use because they're there for college, they're, they're okay. staying there. They give you a call. Oops, I just hit my microphone. Sorry. They give you a call and they say, hey, look, we've got all these, uh, we've got eight college students living here. They've lived here for the last year. Mm-hmm. They're causing all sorts of problems here. We don't want to go after them with on our own CCNR provisions. Is there something you guys can do for us? What's your answer? Unfortunately, no, there's nothing we can do. We do not enforce uh, private contracts between residents and associations. We've never done that, and that's not going to change. Uh, it's just a matter, it's a civil matter, basically, between the owner of the home and the association. Uh, if there is, we will come out, obviously, if there's a noise concern, some sort of nuisance, or if the property is not being maintained or upkept, we can enforce that because we have nuisance ordinances and stuff like that. But we cannot, as far as the use goes, there's not much we can do. What about the use being a violation of single family zoning? Because I get that question a lot from managers is, hey, listen, I've got all of these people staying in this house. I think it's a zoning violation. That's a possibility. Yeah, there could be uh, eight unrelated people living there. for over. And let me make one clarification on group homes, too. In order for it to be considered a group home, the people, the residents have to stay there for more, for 30 days or longer. 
that's what kind of separates it from a short-term rental. Sure. You know, short-term rentals could be one night or a week. Mm-hmm. But in order for the, a home to qualify as a group home, the residents have to stay for 30 days or longer. So let's get that out there first. But, yeah, I mean, if there's, if there's eight people that have been living in this house unrelated for six months, that's a group home. And we can... Now, of course, the tough thing is, is if our code enforcement folks do inspectors do go out there and try to to inspect this they might meet with resistance from the people in the home they might you know will knock on the door and say and they'll say well you can't come in and i don't you know we literally have to probably go get a bench warrant to even go in there and try and find out if it's operating as a group home because another another tough thing about this is there are families out there that have more than six people and it's a single family residence. It's not a group home. So I mean, this it's it's a tangled web, and it's a very difficult thing to to categorize and enforce. So what we will, to answer your question uh, shortly, we will investigate if we feel there's a zoning violation. And then, if you find there's a zoning violation, it's anybody's question as to whether or it's hard to answer whether you're going to be able to enforce it for a couple of different reasons that you've articulated. Yes, it can be challenging. Yeah. Well, then let's switch gears to care homes then, since um, that seems to be um, a point here that I wanted to cover more so than group homes. Because when I get a call from a manager or from a board member uh, and they're complaining about somebody that's operating a halfway house mm-hmm. or someone that's operating, I don't know, you, you name it, usually they say it's a group home, but from your perspective, it's not because there's care and supervision. Right. So it's a care home. Mm-hmm. And there has to be licenses issued, mm-hmm. and those licenses, uh, in order to keep your license active, you can't violate the permit process and, and things like that. So tell me, um, if I am an owner in a community and I want to start a care home, whether it's housing disabled individuals or um, troubled youth or rehabilitating um, ex alcoholics or addicts, whatever it yeah. might be, mm-hmm. what is I, I give you a call. Mm-hmm. And I submit an application. Can you just get into um, give us a thirty thousand foot view of what that application looks like and some of the hoops that an individual has to jump through to get a permit? Certainly, if if somebody wants to operate an actual licensed care home uh, in Scottsdale, the first thing they need to be aware of is it's a maximum of ten residents. Okay, so we actually have a maximum resident number of residents that can stay in the home for care homes. Group homes, we don't have that. Um, but for care homes, licensed care homes, it's a maximum of 10 in single-family zoning. So what they have to do is they have to submit uh, a request for a pre-application meeting, and uh, the request gets assigned to a planner. The planner does some due diligence before the meeting to see if the location the applicant is interested in meets the criteria. And the basic criteria for a care home in Scottsdale is one, one I've already mentioned, maximum of 10 residents. And there cannot be another active care home, licensed care home, within 1,250 feet of the location you're interested in. That's the other big one. And then, of course, you have to eventually provide proof of licensure. Now, the tricky part there is the state won't issue a license until they have, until the applicant obtains a CFO. So what we have to do is we have to go ahead and grant them a CFO permit so they can come out and get their, their occupancy established. And there's like a six-month window, basically, where they have to present us with proof of licensure. If they don't come to us within six months of that permit being issued for the CFO and present us proof of licensure, then their approval is void. 
So they come in for their pre-app, and we establish uh, what's called an adult care home case. It's an AC case. And we do uh, basically a staff approval. Uh, they give us a floor plan. They give us a site plan. And um, we do a quick approval for them and give them their permit so they can start the clock, and then they have to work with the state to get their license. And that's usually about a, a six-month window? We give them six months because sometimes, sometimes applicants want to do additions to the house uh, so they can have more residents, obviously, and make more money. Uh, so the, we give them six months. If somebody you know, wants to do an addition, that usually takes a few months just to get through the process anyway. But that six months is a hard six months for the most part, and if they don't come to us with that license, then we can cancel their approval. So assuming they get their approval, they're now duly licensed to operate a care home, uh, what are some of the things that they can do to make you want to revoke that license? Well, see, that's another, another interesting point, and this, this was a big topic of discussion during the text amendment process that we went through with the residents. Um, we, we're pretty much putting the onus back on the state to, to regulate these facilities because we don't have the resources or the staff to do it. And that point was made clear during the process. Everybody wanted the city to license them and the city go out to go out there and, and, and enforce the licensing and enforce all the rules. Now, of course, we'll go out there if we get a complaint. And uh, if, if somebody's, again, now it's basically, um, is there noise? Is there maintenance issues? Well, then we'll go out there and we'll talk to them. Or is there more than 10 residents? which can itself be, again, be challenging because they don't even have to let us in, but we, you know, mm -hmm. we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get to it. Uh, but we're relying pretty much on the state to license these facilities and to enforce whatever regulations are in place for, for uh, medical care or for supervisory care. We're not getting into that part of it. Yeah, that's the question that a lot of my clients and, and folks have is, why isn't the city doing anything, whether it's Scottsdale or anyone else? And it's my understanding that most of these situations, when there is an enforcement issue or a revocation issue, it's, it's forwarded off to the state agency. That's the, that's the way we've, we handled it from the beginning. So um, how many times have you contacted the state when, you're, when you do find in your investigation there's a problem? I would have to find out from code enforcement. Uh, I just get phone calls from, from HOA members or from residents asking questions about these uses. But uh, code enforcement, I'm sure it gets plenty of calls on group homes and, uh, and, um, and care homes. Uh, I just don't have that information with me. No problem. So tell me, when you're talking about, let's go back to the approval process. And the, are there different types of permits that you issue or just one standard care home permit? One standard care home permit. We don't get in, another thing we didn't want to get into the business of having to do is, is determine the type of, for example, the type of disability. Uh, that's, you know, that's almost impossible to do. It's like, do you have a broken leg? Are you paralyzed? Are you an addict? We didn't want to get into that. So all we have is just a care home permit. Whatever's going on inside the house, the state is, is basically saying, okay, this is how it's going to work. They're licensing it. They're enforcing it. We'll just give you a care home permit to operate in Scottsdale. Okay. So let's do a quick scenario, if you don't mind. Sure. Let's just assume that I'm a homeowner and I'm complaining about my next door neighbor who has a care home that you've already licensed. And I call you and I complain we about... We didn't license it. Remember that. That's the state. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> You're right. <laughs> Thanks for clearing that up. <laughs> that is licensed. Yes. Uh, I'm concerned because I know that it's, um, first of all, there's a lot of parties that go on. It's, 
they're, I, I know I see these kids walking around at three in the morning. Mm-hmm. There have been burglaries in the community. I call my board, my manager, and I feel as a homeowner like nothing's getting done. So I'm going to go to the city of Scottsdale is my next stop. So I'm going to call you and I'm going to say, hey, look, you guys need to revoke this guy's license. What is your response to me? Well, first of all, I would, I would again tell you that the state licenses it. We're not going to revoke the license. So are you going to give me the state's information? We can refer you to this Arizona Department of Health Services, which would ultimately make the, make the decision. Now, again, we can still, the city can still get involved if there are nuisance issues, if there is a noise situation or there's partying going on at 3 a.m., we can send the police out. Sure. If there are weeds in the yard, if there's people, you know, flicking cigarettes over the fences into the people's yards, we can send code enforcement out or the police department. It's just the land use itself, what's going on inside the house, is going to be regulated by the state. Yeah, so the Arizona Department of Health um, and Services, when I called, you have their phone numbers. Do you know what they are here? I don't think... Uh, no, but I have that information in my office. I could probably get that to you. So maybe what I'll do to the listeners is I'll link that into this podcast so okay. you, the folks can actually get that information. Sure. Is there anyone down there particularly that they want to talk to? The name is on the tip of my tongue, but I can't recall right off the tip of my tongue. There's actually a couple of different folks that we worked with uh, during the text amendment process, but the names escape me at the moment. But I do have that information in my office. Perfect. So I'll link the, the contact information sure. after the podcast here. Okay, so then um, I guess we're going to move on to our next question here. So we talked about this a little bit, and you answered it, I think, but I'm going to give you an opportunity to tell me if there's anything else that you might consider. So you explained a few of the factors that the city considers in whether there's a code violation, um, cigarettes being tossed over, basically anything that was is within the code violation wheelhouse of noise ordinance violations, nuisance violations, Anything that a care, an individual in a care home is doing that interferes with somebody's rights may be a code violation. But if they're doing something within their own property, it's probably not. Is that well, the gist the, of it? Yeah, within the residence, basically. But if they're doing something, you know, we, we had a lot of folks show up at the open houses that we had for the Care Homes Text Amendment, and they were saying that they're there was a resident at one of these sober homes. That's what they're referred to. We try not to use that term, but that's what they're commonly known as. And this particular resident was, quote, ogling my daughter. And um, she felt like her family's safety was threatened. Well, you know, that's where the police come in. Uh, we can't, that's, that's, that's a behavioral situation. It's not necessarily related to the land use. And that's something that the police department could certainly investigate. But we're going to kind of separate ourselves from a planning and zoning perspective from that aspect of it because, again, it has nothing to do with what's going on inside the house. That's where the care homes text amendment is applicable. Uh, to that point, uh, we talked a little bit about this uh, uh, potential horror story mm-hmm. before we started the podcast. Yes. Would you mind giving us a, sure. that example? Sure. I received a phone call from a resident who was living in a, a condo complex in southern Scottsdale. And she was a really nice lady. She wasn't, didn't sound overly frustrated or anything, but I, she said that she had, there was a, a unit right next door to her where apparently there were 12 people living in this two-bedroom condominium, uh, and they were all, uh, I guess, recovering alcoholics or recovering addicts, however you want to classify them. And there was, of course, a lot of smoke, a lot of smoking going on outside the unit, inside the unit. She was having uh, cigarette smoke come through her vents because they were smoking so much. 
there was a lot of noise. You know, there was a lot of yelling and laughing and screaming and stuff like that. And she was very frustrated, and she was understandably frustrated. Uh, and the only thing that I could really help her or recommend to her, I couldn't really send code enforcement out there because it's a group home, and group homes are allowed in multifamily zoning, and there's no maximum number of residents. However, one thing we can certainly do is see if there's an occupancy issue. Send a fire department out there. And that's what I recommended she do is call the fire department and say, hey, look, I think we've got a public safety situation here. There's 12 people living in this two-bedroom condominium. That can't be safe. Can you guys investigate? And I never heard the end result from her case, but I imagine if the fire department or our building inspectors were to get a call like that, um, they would probably investigate just to make sure that there's, as, a, as a public safety issue has not been created by this particular situation. So that's the only story I've heard so far, but I'm sure there's a lot more of them out there. Sure. I could sit here and talk to you for 45 <laughs> minutes about stories. That yeah, I have I'm sure. This. Yes. Because I, uh, you know, a lot of times the manager calls me and says, hey, look, you know, I contacted the city and they aren't doing anything. So what can we do? And mm-hmm. then, you know, we, we take over from there. Well, we heard of, you know, we heard some, some really unfortunate, and I guess I'd call it a horror story, but it's actually an unfortunate story, too. Um, during the uh, text amendment process, there was a resident who says that there was a uh, there was a sober home across the street from her, and at one point, one of the residents uh, walked out of the home and started walking down the street, and actually, and I hate to say this, but they actually killed themselves, and it was traumatizing for the family, obviously, um, because I think one of the kids might have seen it happen. And she started crying, you know, at the, at the, at the open house. It's a very unfortunate situation. Uh, but, again, that's not, it sounds cold, but it's not a land use and zoning situation. So, the, you know, the police would certainly get involved, and they did in that situation get involved. But there's, there's a, there is a stigma. Let's face it, there is a bit of a stigma associated with not necessarily the elderly care homes because those folks usually are relatively in place and quiet and don't make a lot of noise and but there is a stigma associated with you know sober homes in particular that it's a bad element that these are criminals basically that are compromising my quality of life in my neighborhood and you know the ironic part about that is you could have a next door neighbor who just happens to be an alcoholic who's not in a sober home, but he happens to be an alcoholic and he has a bunch of parties at his house all the time. And that's just a single family residence situation, not a, not a sober home. Um, so it's, it's challenging to say the least, very challenging. Do you have any tips that you would want to give an HOA or manager, board member when it comes to dealing with these things? Well, yeah, I mean, again, HOAs and HOAs and community associations can establish their own rules. You know, they're a sovereign form of government, basically. They can do what they want to do. And we're not going to stand in their way. You know, if, you, if, if there's a, a tremendous desire to preserve a quality of life in that neighborhood and they want to put in some restrictions on sober homes or group homes, go to it. You know, it's, it's certainly up to you. If somebody asks us if they can do that, we can, we'll advise them that they can, but we're also going to advise them that you risk the, uh, the possibility of being sued. Uh, and that's just their choice. But we're not going to get in your way. You know, if you want to put in some rules and regulations that say no sober homes, no care homes, or um, no sober homes, but you can have a care home as long as it's elderly care, you know, whatever you want to do, that's fine. It's just we're not going to get involved, and we're not going to stop you from doing that. Just be aware 
you could face challenge legally, not only from a resident, a potential resident, but maybe even from the federal government because there's a federal Fair Housing and Americans with Disabilities Act that protects these particular homes as well. So it's, yeah. It, it, yeah, there's definitely laws that there's, an association has to consult with a qualified attorney to, to discuss first before they implement these laws or absolutely. these rules. But yeah, I agree with that 100%. So the last question I'm going to ask you is, you know, you get a lot of calls. So what advice would you give to our listeners uh, to kind of make your life easier? Make my life easier? Yeah. Well, just be diligent and keep an eye on what's going on in your neighborhood. You know, have eyes on the street, have eyes on what's going on, and know the rules, know what's, what, the, uh, what the ordinances are. And, and they vary from city to city. Every city's got different regulations, and you would think they'd be consistent, but they're not. Uh, Prescott's a perfect example. Prescott put together a very controversial ordinance to deal with these uses, and that initial ordinance that they put together was challenged by the federal government, and they had to revise their ordinance, loosen up their regulations a little bit because the Justice Department said you're way out of line. You need, you guys need to fix this. Uh, so every city has got varying levels of enforcement uh, when it comes to, or regulations, I shouldn't say enforcement, but regulations when it comes to care homes. So just being aware of what your local jurisdiction's rules and regulations are and what their limitations are and just keep eyes on the street and what's going on around you. Be diligent. So the Department of Health, when they get involved, they obviously enforce it based on state standards, but do you uh, feel like they actually implement and integrate that respective city's ordinances as part of their enforcement? I don't think they do. I think it's just a matter of, of the type of license that they have, whether it's a behavioral health license or an assisted living license. Um, whatever those regulations are that they have on their books, those are what they enforce. They don't try to enforce local regulations. Yeah. Well, thank you so very much for visiting with me Not today. a problem. I hope it helped. I really appreciate I think it really did. <laughs> you answered a lot of questions that a lot of our listeners have. Absolutely. If you have any more, inf- any more questions, you can certainly get a hold of me. You know how to get a hold of me, so um, yeah, let me know. I'll be happy to help. Perfect. Thank you so much. You're welcome.